Let me first of all share with you that the, that the primary subject is not drug diversion, but counterfeit medicines, which is a far bigger topic than drug diversion. Drug diversion was a, a suggested topic that got set in concrete last January, February, before I had a chance to look over. And the much bigger problem is counterfeit medicines. Drug diversion is a problem when drugs are returned to the United States and may not have been stored properly, but chances are that it's much less of a problem than the drug counterfeits. So this, this presentation will have the same subtitle, The Size of the Problem, the Cost, and Its Prevention, but it's counterfeit medicines, not drug diversion. Now, like any good faculty professor, we got our objectives. So here are the objectives. One, we're going to give some examples of counterfeit drug, uh, drug counterfeiting abroad. However, this presentation is not primarily a witch hunt for drug counterfeits. We're talking about specific examples about the, the counterfeiting problem as a whole in general, not just medicines, then counterfeiting with drugs, the size and the magnitude of the problem, examples of drug counterfeits, and the impact of drug counterfeiting on mortality and morbidity. And, Bob, you know what's you happened with the, with the uh, uh, chloroquine many, many years ago, buying a, a sample from a drug manufacturer, 50, what is it, 15,000 tablets, and they were all counterfeit, or 10%. Then we're going to talk about the uh, counterfeit prevention. There are various types of, of prevention called overt, things you can see, covert, things that you cannot see, and even forensic, which are as evidentiary type of documentation that you can present in a court of law. Then we'll give examples of these interventions of the above. And finally, I'll go into changes in U.S. law and current California law and changes that will mandate the impl implementation of what we call e-pedigree. Now, you know what E stands for. It's electronic and pedigree that documents the authenticity of the drugs that we're talking about and counterprotection measures law enforcement. So this is the, the scope of this lecture. But I'm going to start out with a poignant example because I want to bring home the impact of drunk counterfeits. A number of years ago, I think it was two or three years ago, a two-year-old boy, oh boy was rushed to the Kowale Hospital in Kenya's coastal province. The clinical officer diagnoses a febrile convulsions. Uh, he prescribes a rapidly acting antimalarial called dihydroartermenicin, called in the, under a brand name Cotexin. And after a few hours, two or three hours, there was no response. So more doses of the same Cotexin were administered. Still no response. 24 hours later, the boy dies. Upon further investigation, the cotexin was found to have absolutely no active ingredient in it. It was a counterfeit. The Chinese manufacturer of the legitimate cotexin withdraws all of its artemenicin-based drugs from Kenya and then finally reintroduces them under strict packaging guidelines. About 19, excuse me, 2006, 2005, 2006. So this is fairly recent. But it's not just that. It's, <coughs> it's still happening today. Now, if you take a look, 
Here we have the counterfeit. Is this thing working? Yeah. This is the counterfeit, and here's the genuine. Notice there's very, very little difference in the packaging. There are two things that distinguish the counterfeit from the genuine. The first thing is the counterfeiters use cheaper dyes and and inks. They're not permanent. So if you just take and wet your thumb and rub it off, it'll rub off the counterfeit. That's the first difference. The second difference is the fact that this mosquito print was in a different location on the counterfeit than on the genuine drug. So this brings home the point immediately. You must know what the genuine product looks like or you must depend upon a, a, a true a pharmacist who is um, genuine, who is going to treat you right. Now I'm going to go into further things. Let's just take this a little further. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They cannot spell. Right there. Yeah. Well, the genuine has an e there too. Okay. Okay. But misspellings are are very common, uh, and you. You mean up here? Above here? Well, you, you can't tell because they've been punched out. There's no E here, but there is here. Yeah. See, there is not. There's, 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 there's E's on both of those. I hadn't noticed that, but there's no E here, and there is an E here. And that's on the genuine. Yeah. <laughs> so, but very good, Bob. That's that's good. Good eye, good eye. But you need to have a good eye. Now, this is the latest incident of Coartem that's counterfeit. This appeared just this past Monday in the literature. Now, if you want to know what genuine Coartem is, which is a combination of artemisinin or artemeter and lumifantrain. Come on down to our exhibit, and you'll see a photograph of the genuine powder. This is the boxes. Now, Novartis has boxes that look in this style, but the only um, uh, coartem that they market worldwide comes in a carded package. So um, this was just seized in the country of Ghana. So it's still happening. Okay, what are the lessons learned from this tragic counterfeiting case that I just gave you? Well, first of all, customers must know, as I already said, how the uh, legitimate drug package appears to avoid counterfeits. This is true of all merchandise. Consumers must accept that the cost of the genuine drug is apt to be much more than the counterfeit. And here's the example. The genuine uh, uh, cotexin, dual cotexin, cost about $5.00 whereas the counterfeit was $1. And you see, they, these counterfeiters, they play on the, these poor people's lives, and they think that they can get something that works just because it has a label on it. Well, you know, this is true in anything in life. If something is, it sounds too good to be true, it's going to be a counterfeit. 
And look what happened on the stock market and all these. I mean, this is true all over life. If, it's, if it sounds too good to be true, <laughs> it is too good to be true. Okay? Well, yeah, but that's those are those are generics, and and it turns out that they've cut down their markup. So uh, the Walmart drugs, they're fine. I know. I'm just saying there's exceptions to that. Well, and uh, and a lot of a lot of big pharmacies are doing giving the same equivalent programs. But you see, I'm going to get into talking about proprietary or brand name drugs in, in a moment versus generics. Uh, Consumers must have, place a practical priority on their health to pay for genuine ethical drugs instead of the cheapest one on the market. Governments must pass laws and regulations to prevent the introduction of counterfeit drugs into their nations, and drug enforcement agencies must be empowered. In other words, they must be funded to enforce the laws and regulations that are on the books to prosecute counterfeiters and those who market counterfeit drugs. Continuing on, the WHO estimates that upwards of 2,000 children die daily as a result of taking counterfeit antimalarials. And there's a reference. Medicines in high demand that are high-priced or sizable products are the most apt to be counterfeited. In other words, antimalarials and recreational drugs such as that for ED. Now, is there anybody here wants to know what ED is? Ecstasy. <laughs> Erectile dysfunction. Oh, oh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Counterfeit antimalarials contain may contain no active ingredient, wrong active ingredients, or insufficient ingredients. So there's very several different types of counterfeiting. The first type uh, is wrong ingredient. Some counterfeit antimalarials that they put in acetaminophen. Well, acetaminophen will bring the temperature down temporarily, but it doesn't treat the disease. It treats the symptoms, but not the disease. Qualitative assays do not, are not sufficient. In other words, you can have a little chemical that you can put on a tablet to determine if it contains a certain drug. Uh, counterfeiters will often salt their false tablets with a small amount of the genuine drug so that a qualitative assay will say it's there but only a genuine quantitative analysis will determine that the amount that's on the label is actually in the drug. Now, subpotent drugs, what is the impact of subpotent drugs? Well, it, they increase the risk of drug resistance with the eventual loss of the utility of that drug, of a valuable drug, in treating that disease. And this impacts the general public health worldwide. So subpotent medicines are a big threat all over the world. Okay, counterfeit medicines in the U.S. Let me just... Yeah, I can see my own screen a little better. In, 19, in 2008, FDA became aware of hundreds of people who became sick from, from allergic reactions to tainted ingredients in heparin and issued a recall. The FDA estimated that there were 81 American deaths from tainted heparin. Despite recall efforts, federal marshals had to enter Celsus Laboratories in St. Louis that distributes heparin to drug and medical device manufacturers, both in the United States and internationally, to seize 11 lots of tainted heparin. 
This is November 2008. But little attention was given to the root of the problem until just this past summer. And it's found out that China, that the manufacturers in China had intentionally changed the excipient within the drug in order to cut the cost without informing clients of the changes. Now, any change in formulation of a drug in the United States is totally unacceptable without prior approval of the FDA. So this is all reminiscent of the incident of uh, Chinese pet food in which protein uh, contents were substituted with toxic melamine. You see, toxic melamine in a, in a chemical, reacts chemically like protein because it's got similar uh, contents, but it is very toxic material. And you see, counterfeiters do this so that they can make more money. They're driven by the market to make more money. Counterfeiting, the impact. Medicines, the risk of prolonged morbidity to death. But it's not just that. Aircraft parts, more maintenance to crashes. Auto parts, brake lines made of compressed gas, sawdust, or cardboard leading to crashes. Transmission fluid made of dyed oil ruin your transmission. Oil filters made of used rags as, as a filter element. Up to 90% counterfeits, this is the big take home, generally speaking, up to 90% of the profits for counterfeits are linked to organized crime, drug trafficking, or terrorist activity. So this is a huge problem that the world has got to get onto to take care of it. Because this is the way a lot of the terrorist activity is being funded. Okay, let's talk about some legal definitions. And Well, the grammar's not good. Uh, one of the things I forgot to tell you at the beginning of my lecture, this is a confession, da, 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 a confession. A lot of these pictures that I'm going to show you are copies that I had to make, taking a camera, photographing my, my computer screen, and then putting on here, and this is, this is one of them. Now, these are all... Um, I had permission to do this, but I can't give you copies of it. So you're seeing some things here that I cannot give you copies of. And Anyway, we'll talk about the definition of, of uh, counterfeiting. Whoever intentionally traffics or attempts to traffic in goods or services and knowingly uses a counterfeit mark or in connection with such goods and services or intentionally traffics or attempts to traffic in labels, patches, stickers, wrappers, badges, emblems, medallions, charms, boxes, containers, etc., etc., of any type, knowing that a counterfeit mark has been, have been applied thereto, the use of which is likely to cause confusion, to cause a mistake, or to uh, deceive, shall, uh, shall, if an individual, anyway, and it goes on, that's where, it's, where it ended. Anyway, this is identical or with or substantially indistinguishable from a mark or a registered mark on the principal register of the United States Patent Trademark Office in use, whether or not the defendant knew such a mark was so registered. The primary way in which counterfeits are, are legally dealt with is by a registered trademark. The U.S. Customs requires a registered trademark to be able to go after a counterfeiter. This is U.S. law, international law. So trademarks are very, very important. In, in the form of interdicting this. Now I'm going to talk about 
we're going to talk about drugs. What is an ethical drug? An ethical drug is one in which the dosage form, tablet, capsule, liquid, injectable, whatever it may be, contains the amount of drugs specified on the label. And USP says typically it's the amount plus or minus 10%. And that's what's required for a drug that has a certificate of analysis that has to have that amount plus or minus 10% to, be, to meet the requirements of USP or BP. It's very similar. That's British Pharmacopeia. USP is US Pharmacopeia. The main issue or concern about this is a, the main issue or concern about generics is whether or not it is ethical, whether it has the amount of the drug that the label says it has. This may also be a problem with a proprietary or brand name drug. All low active ingredient dosage forms are considered counterfeits, whether brand name or generic. The same problem occurs with both. Now I want to give you the big impact of, of uh, counterfeiting. Medicines, well I've already had this. You know I thought I deleted that one. Now to show you terrorist networks, this is one from another slide. Right in my own hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma, there are terrorist networks. And See this? These are all states where there are known terrorist networks. And this is how they fund a lot of their activity, is through counterfeiting and marketing counterfeit drugs and other counterfeit things. Now, what is the size of this problem? In general, counterfeiting amounts to $1.3 trillion in sales in 2008. This is an increase of 25% from 2007. About 10%, this, this amount of activity is about 10% of the world's GDP, gross domestic product. The cost to U.S. businesses, approximately $300 billion annually. Loss in jobs due to counterfeits in the United States, about 750,000 jobs. Cost to the electronic industry, $100 billion annually. Counterfeit aircraft parts, and this is one that you really love, about 2% of aircraft parts are counterfeit, or approximately 220,000 pieces. Copyright piracy, about $9 billion in losses to U.S. companies. So you see, this is a huge problem, and why you should all be concerned about it. Okay. Now I'm going to focus in strictly on drugs, but... I had to give the global picture of counterfeiting and now to talk about drugs. So, is this a problem? And anytime you got questions, please please raise your hand because I want this to be this this to be interactive, to be more helpful to you. 8 to 10% of the global prescription medicines are counterfeit. That's 48 billion dollars in sales. The growth is expected to be to 75 billion globally by 2010. In some African countries, 50% or more of prescription drugs are counterfeit. How about here in the United States? The take-home lesson. 2 to 10% of prescription drugs may be counterfeit. Probably in the United States, maybe less than 2%. But 
online prescriptions may be as high as 25%. So be careful. I'm going to go into this. If you want to make sure you're not getting a counterfeit in ordering your drugs online, be sure you order from a pharmacy that shows the label of a verified Internet pharmacy practice site. These are licensed pharmacies where only FDA-approved medicines can be purchased. And here's the latest edition. This right here is the symbol of the PPIS. And you can read, read that. It says this, this organization, NAABP, National Association of Board of Pharmacies, has been in existence since 2000, or, yeah, 1904. So it's a very old organization. And back at the turn of the 20th century, there were a lot of counterfeits in the United States. And this board was set up to, to coordinate pharmacy boards in all the states to get out all the counterfeits of the United States. Well, counterfeits are being reintroduced through Internet pharmacies that are not regulated. Now, there are only about 12 to 15 websites that have this symbol here. There are very few, okay? Now, why you say, how about my Canadian pharmacy, right? Okay, now this is something I took off a Canadian pharmacy just Wednesday before coming. And this is, you know, just you Google Internet pharmacies and up comes a bunch of things and you start clicking and find that out. Well, everything sounds fine. And this is one WWWJN's drugs. And they'll tell you a bunch of stuff. Uh, uh, Manitoba Pharmacy Association. Let me share with you. In the United States, the state pharmacy board is the one that's protecting you. More than the FDA, it's the state pharmacy board. They do the real groundwork. They're the ones that are doing most of the inspecting. That's good as long as the pharmacy is in that state, or in this case, in the province. But look what you see down here. Other verified pharmacies. But, you know, who says they're verified? It's not so bad in the United Kingdom, New Zealand, or Singapore. But on other websites, they include things like Barbados and Turkey. There are no controls at all. And you don't have any idea where it's going to come from. None. It'll tell you the potential other sites. But you see, your state board of pharmacy has nothing, no say in those other sites. None. And you don't know who does. This is the big risk of ordering online unless you use the one for the verified U.S. pharmacies that are internet. So I'll just share that with you. Be Beware, 25, up to 25% of them are counterfeit. You may say, well, I had no trouble. Well, with that particular shipment, you may not have. But you don't know about the next shipment. Okay? Isn't that the way it is, Bob? So, okay. Drug counterfeiting is on the rise. 24% increase in the reported counterfeit, stolen, illegally diverted drugs between 2006 and 2007. You can see from this graph the growth of them, even though you can't read the numbers, and the original was also crappy. <laughs> you know, if, if you copy crap, you're going to have more crap. So that's the way it looks, but that's the best I could do. And also, this shows the number of, of criminal cases filed by the FDA, and it continues to rise. So what are the solutions? I'm going to talk about what we do. in our. We have an import-for-export program because we, we purchase production runs in India, and we go the long nine yards because we're really concerned about this issue of whether our drugs are ethical. Now, I'm just going to go over them. 
First of all, the active pharmaceutical ingredient must have a certificate of analysis, must be graded as being USP or BP in impurity. Then there must be an AIP, that's the active pharmaceutical principle, panel of impurities. We need to see what the impurities are. The manufacturer must be certified to follow uh, good manufacturing practices and the current good manufacturing actions of, of the pharmaceutical manufacturer. Then the excipients must have a, a panel of impurities, and they also must be USP or BP grade. Finally, the IP, the excipients, and the tablet coatings, while I've already basically said that, are either USP or BP in quality. We make up tablet punches, our own tablet punches, that have tablet identifiers, not for branding purposes, but for safety reasons, so you can identify what the tablets are if they're out of the bottle. <coughs> Finally, the finished certificate of analysis must uh, meet or be, meet the requirements of the U.S. Pharmacopeia or British Pharmacopeia analytical <coughs> requirements for the AIP content, dissolution rates, and the water content of the finished drug. Then the next big thing that's costly is the manufacturer's certificate of analysis must be confirmed by an independent laboratory's certificate of analysis, a separate analysis for every drug and every lot of every drug. Then there must be the tracking, tracking from the manufacturer to the port, to the U.S., to Blessings International, and then packaging. We package it in U.S.-grade, uh, FDA-grade registered bottles, and inspected bottles. And finally, we have to have labeling requirements that meet UFD, US FDA regulations. So there's a lot, a lot of work to bring out an ethical pharmaceutical that meets all the regulations. But this is not sufficient anymore, and we're going to be working on moving into the future. We're going to have security-coded tamper-evident uh, tape seals on the labels. We already have you know, many years ago, there used to be some contaminated Tylenol, and people got some cyanide. Well, that problem was cured by two things. They put uh, what you call a heat induction seal on the inside of, of the cap that, that once you puncture, you, you, you cannot do it again. Basically, it's aluminum foil with a piece of that has a coating of plastic, and when the lid goes on it, we have a, a device. It's an it's a electronic induction uh, field that goes through the aluminum foil, absorbs the energy, heats up, and then it seals to the top of the bottle. And that's how, how it works. We do that. Next, we're going to use two-dimensional barcoding with random serialization. Now, random serialization puts a random long number on every bottle that only the manufacturer and the recipient receives that, that, that's coded. And if a, if a government wants to know whether it's legitimate, we send them the, the legitimate numbers. And any bottle that doesn't have one of those random codes is not, is not a legitimate, it's a counterfeit. And this is the primary way. Tamper evidence seals, we're also going to get into e-pedigree. But we cannot do this now because our U.S. suppliers don't provide us with e-pedigree documents. But this is coming down the fast track. We're also working on ISO 9000 compliance. Okay, what are the solutions? Change of the topic, going from the problem to the solutions. The solutions are three to fourfold. There's the overt, then there's the covert coding and forensic. Now, forensic is uh, evidentiary 
that's uh, can evidence that can be immiscible into a court. Overt are things that you do that you can see with the eye. These include two-dimensional barcodes with serialization. Everybody's seen holograms on products. Uh, copy prevention using uh, opalized inks, and I'll show you examples of that. These are called optically variable devices, and also Intego inks. These address the counterfeiting. Now, I, I must say that holograms might have to be taken off the list. I've recently read an article <coughs> where an ethical counterfeiter found that a counterfeiting company or somebody was putting out holograms that were actually of the same picture but better quality than the real product. Well, if counterfeiters are so good that they can make counterfeits that are better than the, than the original product, then, then I would have to discount the use of holograms as being a legitimate way to prevent counterfeiting. Now, of course, that depends upon the cost of the product. Microsoft is very, very proud of their products, as you know. So that's the reason why counterfeiters go after things like that. Covert. Covert are things that you do on your packaging or on the final product that you cannot see with a native eye. Sometimes you use ultraviolet or infrared embedded labels or microtext on packaging and design. And the thing that I'm going to spend the most time on is, is taggants. Taggants are microscopic things that you can put in the finished product, you can put on the label, you can put on different things. And this is one that was just approved this summer. And these are really incredible because you can do incredible things with them. And finally, you can use coding, encrypted barcodes, or RFID. That RFID is radio frequency identification tags. Now, every one of you has seen these little tags, the little thing that's in a product. You rip it off and you see that there's a wire that goes around in a circle. Well, this, this is an antenna that basically picks up a signal when it goes through. You know, you walk out of a store and you haven't passed that thing over a little thing. Well, that's an RFID label that prevents you from walking out the door and the buzzer sounding. But the same labels can also, embedded in there, can be information about the product, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that is useful for identification. Well, these are very expensive. They cost about a dollar to a dollar and a quarter apiece. And it's too expensive for us to get into. But there's a new form of RFID that's coming down. Instead of using a wire and a thing, we have what you call um, electronic inks. So that they can make a, a loop or a, an antenna just with an ink. Fantastic. And finally, down to the forensic. This is really wild stuff. Synthetic DNA or nanoparticles are included. So you're really getting to some very esoteric things that are coming down the track real quickly. Now you are all aware probably of microprinting. And this is an example of microprinting. You take up a hundred dollar bill and around Ben Franklin is micro imprinted something. If you get out a magnifying glass you can see it. Now we say well what's so great about that? It costs a lot more money to have a printing press that has this capability. Because the typical printing press, remember, the counterfeiters want to do something cheap. They don't want to put an investment in it. So this requires more investment. Okay. This is an example of opalized inks. Now, this is a, 
Um, these are inks that are mixed together and in the final form is unique. Now, this happens to be uh, somebody's business card at a, at a meeting that I went to last February. It was talking about brand protection, but basically it's the same thing. And this is opalized inks. It's very, very, very difficult to duplicate this. Once it's set, it cannot at all easily be duplicated. And here I've blown it up, and it's kind of hard to see, but you can see the changes. And this is very hard to, to duplicate or to, to reverse uh, engineer. Here's an example uh, of you, you change and look at a bottle. You have shifting inks. Here you see it's uh, bluish pink, and here it's green. Very, very difficult to counterfeit. Another example. <clears throat> Here's an example where you have tagants. Um, and you notice that each one of these has a special detector. Uh, one of the problems with tagants, you really have to have very, very tight custody of the tagant material. And the, there's proprietary technologies and engineering that are used. So these all require very high security when they're used. Um, and then you have special readers. These are not expensive readers, but low-cost readers. So they really are simple, and they're very useful for authentication, the genuine product, and also as a highly, highly anti-counterfeiting measure. And now this is the one that I think is going to make the big difference. This is a microtagant. Now, see this two here? Now, look at the extreme blow up of the two, and you see here the microtagant that's put there. There's two of them. These are smaller than 100 microns. Now, the human hair is about 100 micron, and this is about three quarters that size. You cannot see them with your naked eye. It takes a, a, a that's quite a, an enlargement, as you can see, to make good size. But you can. Not only have that, you can put labels on these microtagants. <clears throat> here's one. Here's a human hair, 100 microns. <clears throat> here's one <clears throat> excuse me, that has um, um, a trademark symbol that's embedded within the tagant. And this is something that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the FDA approved for use in food as non, uh, they're non-toxic uh, products uh, that are fully now approved for use in food and in medicine. These can be embedded in medicine. They can be put in many different places. <coughs> they come in all sorts of sizes and shapes. <coughs> and you can see, here's, here's they, they can have a different color and spectral uh, selection. You can choose different colors. You can have a different size, different thickness, different geometric forms. There's certain spatial relationships, different types of text, and different physical, uh, physical chemical content or uh, chromotrophic uh, technology can be used on that. And I'm going to show you how esoteric these are going. <clears throat> There's a blow-up of some of the symbols in different colors. These are very difficult to, to duplicate, very costly. And here's a whole variety of these microtag. And some of them, you see this fish, you'll see some more of these. And even a two-dimensional barcode. 
that can be put on these. Well, the color is not just only what you're seeing, but you see the colors can have different elements, and you can do x-ray fluorescence and see the different elemental analysis. And see, when you start doing that, this is, this is really very high tech, and this is too costly for the counterfeiters to bother with. So you can check these things out and see whether they have the same x-ray fluorescence pattern for it. Here's another one with a registered trademark. And this is the x-ray fluorescence showing the, the elemental analysis for this tablet or for this micro tagant. <clears throat> and here we have what it actually looks like when it's included in the um, material that's used to, to code a tablet. This is a coded tablet. You're not going to see it with the naked eye. You have to put it underneath a microscope to, to get a good image of it. But this is a, a, <clears throat> a film-coated tablet. They put it on the film coating, but they could also embed it right in with the, the active ingredient as well. Okay. There's a, also a whole new generation of optical watermarks. Now, most of you know what a watermark is. A lot of currencies, you put them up and you can see the water, a watermark of the king or whoever is the head of the country. This watermarks are, are costly to try to duplicate, so they are a good form of anti-counterfeiting. The nanotechnology <clears throat> are playing a vital role in the development of new tagants, which I've shown you some. Digital uh, printing provides solutions, and electronic inks will provide chipless RFID that will readily facilitate all this e-pedigree process that follows and tracks every shipment of a product. So while the solutions are costly, <clears throat> not doing these things are going to be even more costly. <clears throat> Here's some more. And you can have different fluorescent properties uh, of them. And let me go on and show you. Here's one. This is visible light. Then you go to uh, one tagant with this is near ultraviolet will fluoresce blue. Another one, the general background color, will fluoresce yellow or yellowish green. Some of these are, have thermal or ultraviolet masks put on the tagants so that you can take, say, a, 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 a chipboard, you know, uh, and you either heat it up or you throw ultraviolet light on, you can see it fluoresce, you can see them right there. You don't see it in regular light, but here's what it looks like. And this is for general use. Now, here's one. You all recognize this, don't you? This is a page right out of your, uh, your passport. And if you magnify this 130 times, you can see the microantagants. Then when you, a different page, this is, they sort of, anyway, there's a frequency doping. Uh, they can go to far ultraviolet, and you can see um, Ben Franklin shows up, and you can see these small tagants. But when you go the long wavelength ultraviolet, these appear different. So this is, you're going to find these microtagants in everything very shortly for our safety. Hewlett-Packard is, is very, very much involved in developing 
its uh, anti-counterfeiting measures. What they've done is they have combined two-dimensional barcoding with this patchwork of, of colors. And uh, this is an example where a, a, an ethical counterfeiter could not duplicate, could not re successfully reverse engineer it. Okay, we're going to shift now and talk about legislative efforts. Nationally, first of all, we have this Fagan's uh, bill called House uh, Representative Bill 2627. What this does is it authorizes the FDA drug to require drug manufacturers to use anti-counterfeiting technology. This is not passed yet. It requires the FDA to remove uh, the stay placed upon the paper pedigree requirements mandated by the Prescription Drug Manufacturing Act of 1988. There's been a stay on that law. It gives the FDA authority for medicines and a similar recall authority for faculty for faulty medical equipment. Right now they can recall faulty medical equipment, but not necessarily the same requirements for recalling drugs. It mandates that drug manufacturers alert the FDA within two days when they learn or suspect that one of its drugs is counterfeited. It authorizes the FDA specifically for spot check reinforcements, 300 million for this over five years. It authorizes five million a year for educating the public and healthcare officials on how to identify counterfeit drugs. It authorizes the FDA to issue subpoenas with respect to preventing threats to drug safety and finally mandates an increased criminal penalties for selling counterfeit drugs up to life in prison. And I personally think that uh, counterfeit medicines that cause death should require the death penalty. I, I don't think we have strong enough regulations. <clears throat> then we have the California legislation, which has been pushed back with time. The California Board of Pharmacy pushed for legislation that would require a drug to be serialized at the unit level uh, of sale and to be accompanied by a pedigree document. The first type of the legislation requires serialization and pedigree. The pedigree document would start with the manufacturer and continue through the point of sale. The pedigree document would have to be signed by a corporate officer of the drug manufacturer. Now these are there's certain legislative updates. California has delayed the implementation of these but is is pushing the federal government to create a national pedigree law. There's a problem with consistency between states and the federal government. The Wrigley-Thomas regulation signed by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I couldn't be bothered to look up how you spell it. <laughs> anyway, the legislation pushed back the date for uh, initial serialization from 2011 to 2015. We hope to start doing serialization within a year or two. Specifics of the law, before 2000, uh, January 1 to 2015, manufacturers would be required to designate a minimum of 50% of their pro products that will be subject to pedigree requirements. In other words, moving them in that direction. Before 2016, manufacturers must designate uh, that the remaining 50% of their products are, have serialization numbers on them. These are the random serialized numbers that I shared with you earlier. After 2016, manufacturers and repackagers would be prohibited from selling, trading, or transferring a dangerous drug without a pedigree. And by 2017, a pharmacy would be prohibited from selling the same. 
Well, this is a, a, a little review showing all the areas where these microtagants that I showed you, you can have it embedded, first of all, in the molded bottles. They can be in the labels. They can be applied actually in the, uh, the pharmaceutical itself or in the extruded films. So they can, they're ubiquitous. They can be used all over the place. And finally, how many of you took, remember your um, existentialist philosophers from college? Nietzsche, behold, I gave you Superman. The latest use of the iPhone is to copy these and put translators in for the two-dimensional barcodes. So this is coming down the track, folks. And if any of you want to learn more, I invite you to consider attending the Pharmaceutical Anti-Counter Forum coming up in February, but warning you, it's very expensive. Okay. That's the end. Hallelujah. <laughs> you made it. You're graduates. Now you're ready to go out and prevent counterfeiting, at least in what you buy. And here's some information. Here's an excellent resource, uh, a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to doing this and has a uh, history of counterfeits in the United States. So, uh, any questions? Yes? You're talking about, are you talking about counterfeiting? Yeah. Counterfeiting, counterfeiting for TV. medication for TV. Oh, counterfeiting medication for TV. Well, I, I just have to share with you some of my own experience, okay? My experience in treating TB, yes, there's a high probability, there's big room for, for faulty or counterfeit TB medicines, particularly with the more expensive rifampicin, uh, um, pyrazinamide, and thambutol, but particularly rifampicin, um, they're all fairly expensive. The big problem with TB is called compliance. Um, when the first round, you know, m many of the government clinics that provide free TB medicine, you know, the problem with TB medicine is the WHO gives a lot of TB medicine to governments. That is going to be ethical. That's not going to be counterfeit. So because the government is giving a lot of it away, this strongly mitigates against counterfeiters because they can't sell their product when it's being given away. Okay. The problem with resistance is these government clinics do not, first of all, there's no consistency in the availability of the drug. That's the number one problem. And the second problem is the compliance of the patients that are taking the drug. Are they actually taking it? See, after you take the drugs for about a month or two, there's, there's side effects that are not pleasant. And unless there's somebody holding a stick over their head or giving them incentive to take it, they're not going to do it. Because what happens? Well, after two months, all the signs are gone. The symptoms are gone. They, get, they feel well. They go back to work. Well, I'm well. I don't need to put up with these side effects. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yes? What about the generic forms of the drugs? Are they also going to the same effect? Well, the generics in the United States go through the same identical uh, testing as the proprietary brand name drugs. And we 
put ours through the same battery test because we want to make sure that they're ethical. We don't see a way. The attitude I take is our reputation is good once, and I want to keep it that way. Um, the generics that are in the United States are all ethical. Now, there are manufacturing problems that do occur. Let me tell you one that's not uncommon. It's one that's not commonly that used, but, you know, lidocaine for injection, like it may be used for, used to be used a lot for, for dental work. Well, lidocaine is maybe ethical, proper when it was made, but just a little tiny leak in the rubber seals, a little bit of air goes in it, and it quickly goes bad. So there's been a lot of problems with a proprietary drug here because if, if those carpules are not kept at room temperature, say in shipping, it gets down below 40 degrees, then the seals will weaken and air will get in and it will go bad. Okay? Yes? Are you saying that mission hospitals need to have these uh, devices now to be able to read the, the when, they... when they start being required, they will be made available. Okay? These devices will not cost that much to read. To read. No, I, I don't think the cost is the concern. In fact, the investments you may have to put them will be well worth it. One of the things we do right now is we buy from the same supplier. We have a limited list of supplier. You have a trusted supplier. Right. That's key. And he wants to keep his reputation, but he doesn't want to lose your business. So he, right. If he puts in a fake drug, knowingly anyway, he's going to lose his business. And that Precisely. And that's... That's right. Well, if if a mistake is made, he will make good on it too, won't he? Right? See, because he wants your business. And that's the way you have your foot on him. They've been exposed. They've been exposed to high humidity. They haven't been stored properly, or they weren't made properly. We suspect any tablets that yeah. like that. See, we even have a machine that that tests the the uh, the hardness of the tablet. Now, you know, we're just a little nonprofit organization, but we bought a used piece of code. It tests the hardness of the tablet, and it's supposed to fall within a certain perimeter. And we don't tell people about that. But, but we're trying to prepare because we want the products that we have available. It's shocking to realize that organized crime is in the drugs business. It's shocking to realize organized crime yeah. has gone into it. Yeah. Because it is very profitable and the penalties are less than yeah. dealing in cocaine and yeah. heroin. Yeah. I think that the, the, the costs for doing this should be very severe and quickly implemented. The public shouldn't have to pay for the long delays that they can finance in their courts. So, yes? Um, I'm not involved. In, I, I travel to uh, Juarez every summer with the medical commission team, and I'm not involved in, in um, our pharmaceutical supply, but I know that we um, order them in the state. I don't know. We might get them from you. I don't know. But um, we ship them to El Paso, and we take them across in our luggage, like across the border, because we don't want to purchase drugs in Mexico and getting them across is, like, really difficult. So um, 
I guess my question is, we were, I was in another session yesterday that said whenever possible, because those drugs might be confiscated going across the border, if you don't go through the proper paperwork, it's really better to purchase them in the country. Well, then, in the country you're in, how do you guarantee that you don't have all this counterfeit drugs? And you have no guarantees. <laughs> you have no guarantees. Come on down to my exhibit. Uh, I'll give you the name of a person who knows how to get it through. Uh, time for Christ. Dr. Harry Stevens said for the first time in 25 years now that they got a, a regular way they can get, and they take a huge team town twice a year. Uh, they, they go sailing right on through with pre-clearance. With what? Pre-clearance. Oh, pre-clearance. Like, that's what we do with the U.S. Customs for import for export. That's pretty complicated stuff, but now we are fully recognized by U.S. Customs and what we do, but we're certified. They come through and look at our documents every six months. So, um, but the pre-clearance is the way to go with with Mexico. And come on down. I'll give you Harry Stevens' uh, telephone number, and, and that's the way to handle uh, Mexico. Okay. Any other questions? Yes. Just a quick question on your uh, your one slide that showed the information about the impact of computing uh, worldwide. How much? Where, where was that information from? Where did you get that? Well, this information is from a number of other lectures that I've been to. And from the WHO, let me share with you where most of the counterfeit drugs come from. They come from from India, the southern uh, Pacific Rim, um, Pakistan, um, Turkey, Eastern Europe, even the Soviet Union. Uh, not as much, probably also China. But China makes most of its money on, on counterfeit drugs. Uh, uh, intellectual property. That's their big game. So it varies by location. Yeah. So we actually buy uh, ceftriaxone from India because it's cheaper. What? What? Ceftriaxone, uh, the um, antibiotic. Oh, okay. Because it's for our seriously ill patients. I'm wondering, uh, there's a product we get from India called Axone, which is a brand of self ceftriaxone. It's a generic. And I'm just wondering how we can guarantee or, or how we can be sure that that it is effective and that it has the right potency, that is the right amount of drug that's in, inside it. Because, uh, you know, they're used for very, very ill patients. And so if you don't have what you... Cepha, is this cephatrioxone? Cephatrioxone? Mm. Um, well, there's two, there's, there's a couple answers to the question. You're in Nigeria. Nigeria now has a law that requires the, a similar thing what the United States is an NDC code. They call it an, a national formulary code. And, it's, it's, and if it has that national formulary code, it's supposed to be tested in country. Uh, the second thing is you can demand a certificate of analysis, a, a two certificates, which is what we do. You know, you want to see the manufacturers and you want to see a secondary certificate of analysis. And that's, that's the answer to the question. Any other questions? Hey, you know it all. You're ready for next year's session. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs>